right, well, good morning. It is great to be here with you on side and then also to have those of you joining us at home online as well. You know, something that's true of everybody here this morning is that we all have parents. Somebody got together with somebody and then there was somebody and that somebody was you. Now, what's also true is that all you have to make is a simple observation of watching someone trying to parent or think about your own experience and being parented and you know that parenting is incredibly challenging. In fact, Jimmy Fallon, who's a talk show, late night talk show host recently, um, did a segment where he asked people to tweet different parenting fails. And I wanted to share a couple of my favorites with you. Here's one. My dad told me that the ice cream truck played music when all the ice cream was gone. I mean, that's all the tips and wisdom you need. Like just call it a day. Um, Here's another. There we go. The guard fell off the clippers when my mom was giving me a haircut. She filled in the bald spot with a magic marker. That's one resourceful parent. Now that we've laughed a little bit, I have a couple of disclaimers as we kick off this series for the next few weeks. Number one, it's true that I'm a parent. It's also true that I am not a parenting expert. So the next few weeks is not going to be about tips in terms of discipline and strategies. Uh, It's going to be a lot of helpful and hopeful content from a pastoral perspective. Even if you're not in a season of parenting, you're going to find uh, helpful for you in terms of your own personal walk and relationship with, with Jesus. But what I want you to know is that today we're going to talk about a real fight a fight and a struggle. And it's gonna be a challenge. And it's something that we all deal with, even if you're not parenting, this is something that affects every single one of us. But if we are in a season of parenting, this is something that we should take seriously because Jesus took it seriously. The apostle Paul's gonna help us out. He said this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, if you're not comfortable with the Bible, or if you're new to faith or new to Christianity, we're glad that you're here. If you missed last week's message, go back and watch it, because it'll be incredibly helpful for you in understanding the scope of the Bible. Chad did a great job. And if you were here last week, he used an object and shattered that object into several pieces and talked about that our response as we follow after Jesus is this process of putting the pieces back together relationally with God, one another, and his creation. And so here the Apostle Paul's talking, uh, uh, reminding of us that this world is broken. And he's given us some specific instructions that are helpful for putting the pieces together, but also reminding us about the brokenness that exists around us and why that brokenness exists. So if you're new uh, to Ephesians, it's helpful to understand the context. Most of the time when we think about the letter, um, Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus, Ephesians 6 gets a lot of the attention. It's the the put on the full armor of God section. In fact, it's the one that gets the plaque at Hobby Lobby. So if you shop at Hobby Lobby, it's the one where you can get a picture and put it on your wall and remind yourself of what Ephesians 6 says. But to really understand Ephesians 6, we have to go back and understand Ephesians 1 through 3. And Ephesians 1 is rich. Like one of my favorite holidays is, is Thanksgiving. And just being around family and friends and while it You have the Thanksgiving spread of turkey and mashed potatoes and all of your favorite items. You take this back and you say, thank you. 
Like we're, we're blessed, we're grateful for all that we have. Ephesians 1 is like the Thanksgiving spread of blessings in Jesus. Paul uses the word over and over again, blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And this is all that we have because we've been adopted into the family of God. Like God chose you in love. It's not something, a decision that you've made, like you respond to it, you receive it. But God says, I'm going to do something for you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. I'm going to give it to you. See, on the cross, Christ takes what we deserve in the wrath of God, and in exchange, he gives us what he rightfully deserves, that we become heirs to what rightfully belongs to Jesus. And so first couple chapters, Paul's explaining our calling as our connection to Jesus and that he is king. He's over all of creation, that we're now citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, that that trumps our citizenship on earth. And that Jews and Gentiles come together, and we now live as priests, as Chad talked about, reflecting Jesus to the world, making his name great and famous. And so now Paul says, because all of that is true, because you've turned and you're following after Jesus, it should now affect and change the way that you live your life. How you neighbor, how you show up to work, how you're an employee, how you're a boss, how you're a mom, how you're a dad, how you're a son, how you're a daughter, how you are a member of the United States. All of those things change and shift because of our calling. Our calling now affects our conduct. And so in four through six, Paul starts giving some specific instructions on how to live life and follow Jesus. And in the middle of all of those instructions and in the middle of talking about what it should look like relationally at home, he caps it off by talking about this fight, this struggle. That as you try to live out your faith relationally, there is an enemy that is adamantly opposed to you doing everything that he just described. Like his pure existence is to drag as many people away from Jesus as possible. He's been struck down, he's been defeated, and he's coming after you and your family. And that you need to take this seriously. And so this is why Paul says to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Here's a question. As you have conversations at home, how often do you talk about the devil's schemes? Like we would pray at night, like pray for the next day. We pray for our meal and say thank you. We talk about who Jesus is and that he died on the cross. Maybe we walk through the Bible and we talk about God and we talk about the Old Testament. We talk about the New Testament. But how much of that conversation ever shifts to this here, that we have an enemy, that we have an adversary. What's that conversation look like for you? Or is it even a conversation? Because what I know to be true about us as Americans is that we put a lot of value into protection and safety of our physical well-being. This was true when my first child was born. Uh, shortly before she came into the world, my wife said, we need, I need you to go and take the car seat, and I want you to install it. Simple, right? 
how hard could it be to install a car seat? Hours later, my wife came out and said, are you okay? I'm growing closer to God right now. A lot of faith, a lot of prayer. But we go through that experience because we value the physical protection and safety of those that we love the most. And then they grow up. And nowadays, if you're parenting, you have the privilege and ability to put trackers on your phone so you know where your kids can be at all times, all in the name of protection and safety. Did you know that the vaccine industry makes $61 billion a year? All in the name of protection and safety. And so, if we have all of that in mind for physical safety and protection, why wouldn't we have a similar approach when it comes to the spiritual protection and safety of those that we love the most? The National Institute of Health would tell you that at five years old, a child can understand origin. A child can understand that they came from something. At five years old, a child can understand purpose. That their life has meaning and substance. At five years old, a child can understand morality, right and wrong. At five years old, a child can begin to understand that life after death is a possibility. Eternity matters. And so if that's true, that means that our enemy, our adversary, gets to work at a very early age. Doing whatever he can to help us drift away from God's intent and purpose for our lives. But I get it. It's hard to take evil seriously these days. If you're here today and you're still exploring, trying to figure out faith in Christianity, let's be honest. The devil doesn't seem like such a bad guy these days. If you listen to music, if you watch movies, if you read literature, like what's the big deal about evil? Modern day thinking would have us believe that when it comes to evil, evil is subjective. Modern day thinking would have us believe that Satan is not a threat. There are those that prescribe to a worldview that there is no difference between good and evil, that we get to determine that, that it's subject, subjective and it's relative. But if we play this movie forward, let's just say evil is what you make of it, or some people would say that evil is an illusion. Could you imagine sitting down with a cancer patient, hanging on to their life, and saying, the pain and suffering that you're experiencing is an illusion? You get to decide what you're experiencing in this moment? You get to define it? It's a matter of changing your perspective? Like, that worldview falls short. And if evil is subjective and Satan is not a threat, then, then God is not any more powerful than Satan. And what hope do we have? And so the way that this manifests itself in today into reality, if you go to a very popular book, maybe you've read it before, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, here's an example. I met him when I traveled around the world, a foolish young man I was then, full of ridiculous ideas about good and evil. 
My master showed me how wrong I was. There is no good and evil. There is only power and those too weak to understand it. Since then I serve him faithfully, although I have let him down many times. 500 million copies worldwide. Evil does exist. Evil is the absence of good. You can have good without evil, but you cannot have evil without good. You see, since Genesis 3, Satan's tactics have not changed. It has always been deception. It will always be deception. That's what the devil's up to, deceiving as many people as possible. Now, you probably know this to be true because you're all intelligent people, but the best lie is the one with the most truth in it. And so when we're young, and some of you are still in middle school or high school, we tend to believe things that when we become adults, we think, I can't believe I really believed that at some point. Like, it seems ridiculous or goofy or, or silly. But we believed it because there was just a little bit of truth in it, or at least we thought. Like, for example, someone once said that they believed this growing up, that Santa Claus got his intel from Jesus. Because how else would he know when you're sleeping? How else would he know when you are awake? By the way, the lyrics of that song, just a little bit creepy. One more. Babies come from drinking lots of milk and taking your vitamins. Now, there's some truth to this, just a little bit of truth to it. And maybe you believed ridiculous things growing up. But if we go back to the beginning, if we go back to the origin, what Satan did was take something that was true, twist it and distort it just enough so that the first humans believed that they could become like God. And the method and strategy has not changed for many, many years. So what's our response? If Satan's tactic is deception, our response is discernment. Discernment is a game changer. Because the moment we gain confidence in truth, we lose confidence in a lie. Do you know how Ephesus responded to the call to put on the full armor of God? Do you know how Ephesus responded to this battle that was real, that's unseen, that's all around us all the time? What they did, those that were new followers of Jesus that had been practicing the magic arts, took all of their books in a public place that could be visibly seen, and they burned them. And scholars would tell you that the value of the books that were burned in American currency today would be to the tune of four to five million dollars. Could you imagine if after church today, we just went into the parking lot, four or five million dollars in there, threw some gasoline and just lit it on fire? But this was their response to the battle, the fight that we deal with, to put down lies and to pick up truth. When you send a child or a student out the door, and some of you are students here today, you know the conversation. It's the long list of things that they run through to make sure that you're set up for success for the day. 
you have your homework? Do you have your lunch? Do you have the project? Do you have the assignment? If you have a junior high student, did you put deodorant on? Did you take a shower? Like, I'm sending you out well. That's the list. Every parent has that list as they send their child out. Here's Paul's list. As he thinks about sending out followers of Jesus to help other people follow Jesus, knowing that there's a fight, knowing that there's a struggle, knowing that there's a battle, here's Paul's list. He says, to put on the full armor of God. And he explains it this way. To stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And so let's talk about this for a second, the belt of truth. Common clothing during that time, people would wear long robes. And so this would be problematic if you were a soldier going into battle because it wouldn't allow you to maneuver quickly because it would get caught up. So one of the first things that a soldier would do when he would enter into battle would put the belt on because that would draw the clothing closer to um, his body. But what Paul's saying is that the first thing that we should put on as followers of Jesus is the belt of truth. And so the question becomes, well, what is truth? Well, in Ephesians 4.21, Paul answers that very clearly by saying, truth is in Jesus. Like, that's the first thing that we put on. But in such a time as this, it would be foolish of me to assume that everybody would say that truth is in Jesus. People have different perspectives on truth. They like to define their own truth. Many people say truth is what feels right. Many people say truth is what I wish to be true. I want to be true, so it must be true. But more and more people would say truth is according to the majority. Whatever the popular consensus is, that is what truth is. Regardless of how you would define truth, truth needs to answer three specific questions. Number one, is it logical? Number two, is it factual? And number three, is it livable? And when you think about the life of Jesus, when you think about the truth of the scriptures, Jesus addresses every single one of them. The truth that Jesus taught was logical. The truth that Jesus taught was factual. The truth that Jesus taught is livable. And so this is why Paul's saying, as we head into fight, as we head into the battle, as we're up against an enemy that wants to defeat us, we start with the belt of truth. And then we move towards the breastplate of righteousness. What this list tells us is what matters to God. Because the breastplate would protect the vital organs of a soldier. The breastplate would protect one's heart. God cares about your heart. And so as parents, as parents, we also want to protect our child's heart. But what's interesting about righteousness is that righteousness is something that is imputed by God. It's not something that you earn. It's something that you get in return for placing your faith in Christ. When we place our faith in Jesus, God sees us clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So this tells us that if we want to protect our heart, if we want to protect our child's heart, from a very early age, we want to push them towards Jesus as often as we can. From there, Paul says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
When you imagine a soldier, when you imagine a warrior, where your mind and thinking goes towards the body armor or the weapons, we don't stop and think about their footwear. But footwear is important. If you've ever been to Disney before, you know you need to have the right footwear. If you've ever run a marathon before, you need to know that you need to have the right footwear. If you are on your feet all day professionally, you know how important a good pair of shoes can be to protect you, to sustain you, to get you through what you are about to endure. When I was younger, one of my favorite memories with my mom was the days that she took me to the Reebok shoe store. And the department store manager had a connection with her and he said, you can pick out any shoe. And so the shoe that I chose was the pump sneaker because I had seen commercials with the Celtics player D Brown pumping up his sneakers, running through the court and then jumping in the air and slamming the ball down in the hoop. So in my mind, pump sneakers, that's all the confidence I need when I head onto the court. The gospel of peace gives us the confidence that we need when we head into battle. Like my salvation is secure. My identity is in Christ. Nothing that I do or don't do can separate me from the love of Jesus. That as the battle comes and as things get difficult and as I go through hard situations and as the temptations are there, like I'm with him. I have that peace as I go toe-to-toe with the enemy. Paul says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. That as those doubts come your way, it's the shield of faith that we are to take up. So this morning we talked about sin. So when the enemy starts to say to you that you are your sin, you are all of the failures. Some of you, your children have long since grown up. And you play back the movie of all of the things that you wish you could have done differently, all the conversations you wish you would have had. And the lie that maybe you say is, I am a failure. Like, that's who I am. That's my identity in Jesus. In the younger years, like, you need to perform. And because you're not performing, this is who you are. You are a failure. You don't measure up. That disgusting sin that's a part of your life, that's you. And when that conversation is going in your head over and over again, it's the shield of faith that protects us. No, no, no. That's not what the word of God says is true about me. That's not who I am because of Jesus. Paul says, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, a helmet does what? It protects your mind. Doesn't just, you know, protect the beautiful uh, selfie shot face that you need for social media and the different angles. No, the helmet protects your mind because how we think impacts how we act. More and more conversations around anxiety. More and more conversations around depression. More and more young people taking their lives at a very young age. Those thoughts build up over time. Lies believed. Wrestling through what is true, what is not. Is this who I am? Does my life have purpose? That wouldn't even matter if I lived another day. It's the 
helmet of salvation that reminds us of eternity and the hope that we have in him. And it's the sword of the spirit which helps us discern through the word of God truth from lies. The greatest argument for why we should take evil and Satan and the the fight that we're up against seriously is because Jesus did. He called him a murderer, the father of lies. But it's also true that each time Satan went up against, he is defeated. And if we go to the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter four, after Jesus is baptized and he's led into the wilderness and he faces three unique, temp, unique temptations, each time Jesus's response is what? It is written, it is written, it is written. Satan's tactic, deception. Jesus's response, discernment. This is truth, this is your lie. This is truth, this is your lie. So Paul's message, Jesus's response is this. Stop trying harder. Start training better. When you think about putting on the full armor of God, that's not something you want to do in the middle of the fight because it's too late. When you're in the battle, it's like, oh, geez, I should have. All right, let me go back. No, it's, it's, you're done. You've been taken out. But also part of the process of training is knowing what the armor does and what the artillery does and how it's going to help you in battle. So the response to this fight that we're up against is not effort, but really wisdom and training well. Knowing Satan's tactic being deception, knowing that our response now is discernment. So the question then becomes, well, how do we grow in discernment? Well, there's three important things. Number one, awareness. Number two, understanding. And number three, action. Let's talk about the first two, awareness. Awareness is important to understand on a personal level, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? When my head hits the pillow at the end of the day, where do my thoughts drift? Where do I have confidence? Where do I have a lack of confidence? Where do I have doubt? Where do I have fear? Where do I have worry? Where do I have anxiety? Where do I see a pattern in my life of making the same unhelpful decisions over and over and over again? Where do I lack wisdom? What do I know? What don't I know? All of these are questions that lead to greater awareness. And for those of us that are in a season of parenting, these are the type of questions that we wanna be wrestling with when it comes to our children. What are they thinking about? What are they watching? What are they dreaming? One of the greatest pieces of advice that I ever got from someone that parented well was never stop being a student of your child. Parenting never stops. We're gonna talk about that in week five. Whatever is important or passionate for your kid or your student or your adult child, learn, lean in, ask questions. That's how we get awareness. But once we identify the gap where there's a lack there of understanding, that's where we have to ask more questions. How do I get the understanding that I need? This is why spending time in the word of God is important. This is why it's important to fast. This is why it's important to have solitude. It's important to meditate. It's important to pray. It's important to seek out counsel. It's important to take classes, to sit under someone else's teaching and say, teach me, help me, guide me, equip me. I need help with this. At this church, 
one of the tools that we have is something called Right Now Media, and it's completely free. All you have to do is sign up through our website. It is the Netflix of helpful and hopeful content for all of the things that we go through on a regular basis. So if I were just to go on and run a search for parenting, you would find studies about behavior and discipline, Bible studies for moms, Bible studies for dads, studies to help talk and have conversations with your kid or student about Jesus, studies to help you have important conversations around sex, pornography, gender, dating, Bible studies on family finance. Even for those of you that are in the season of life, when it comes to grandparenting or blended families or co-parenting, studies on adoption and orphan care, it is robust. And it's completely free. It's a resource, here's what you do, easternhills.org, upper right hand corner, click on resources, right now media. But once we have this understanding, and once we have this awareness, the only way we're gonna grow in discernment is to take action. Like once we have the awareness, once we have the understanding, we say, this is a lie, this is truth. This is what I need to stop, this is what I need to start. This is what my first step needs to be. So my question for those of you that are in a season of parenting is, when do these conversations take place? When do you become intentional around this battle, this fight, this struggle that we all deal with? For, for me, at, in my household, it's dinner time. Like we protect dinner. We use the catechism. We, we ask questions about what they're learning from their friends, you know, the content that they watch, observations that they make in their world. Who gets to decide what is right? Who gets to decide? What is wrong? Like, that's the time that we have that conversation. How about you? Here's some interesting data. In the United States, elementary students spend on average 943 hours in school. High school students spend on average 1,080 hours in school. This does not include time spent homework. This does not include time spent extracurricular activities. Let's be honest, most American families have something going on every single night of the week. And when it comes to church, the average American family spends about 30 hours a year at church. So if the influence is not at home or at church, it becomes incredibly intentional when you have those moments to discuss this process of discernment. You have a limited window with your child. You have a limited window with your student before they leave to engage in this conversation of where are they thinking? What, what, what hopes, fears, insecurities do they have? What do I need to understand as a parent to come alongside my child? And when will I do this? When will I schedule the time? When will I make this a priority? All cards on the table. As a parent, this is not easy. My oldest daughter is about to turn 10 next month. And I was thinking about that I might have eight, maybe 10 more years with her. And if I'm honest, 
I feel behind. Like when I dream, like, hey, it would be great that when she leaves our house, we would have had these conversations. That I would be the one that wrestled through the hard things that she's going through. When I think about that, there's a lot more to be done. But my hope today is that we don't leave here feeling like we're less than. Because that would be the enemy. My hope and prayer today is that you don't leave away saying, like, I'm, I'm, I'm really not doing well as a parent. Like, I'm a failure. I'm falling short. I'm not doing these things. My hope and prayer today is that we all would leave knowing what could happen through the power of Jesus. My hope and prayer today is to say, God's not done yet. That you still have an opportunity with your, even if they're adults, you can still have conversations with them about Jesus in the battle that they're facing. Do we believe that God can do far more than we could ever dream, hope, or imagine? Yes, we do, because he resurrected his son from the grave. And that power now dwells within us. He's given us everything we need. We're fully equipped. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take prayer. Which is why I think after Paul said to put on the armor and he walked through all of these things, his list, if you will, he concluded by saying, and pray. And pray. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So this morning, as the band comes back up on stage, I want us to do something as a church. We don't do this often. In fact, I don't think we've done this before in the time that I've been here. But not only did Paul say that we should pray, he gave a very specific prayer in Ephesians 3. It's a powerful prayer that he prays as he's kneeling. So I'm gonna ask pastors in the room, elders in the room, those on staff, leadership in the room, if you are a follower of Jesus here today in the room and you are capable of kneeling, I'm gonna ask you to come down in front and we're gonna kneel before God and ask him to do amazing things through our families, to equip us for what we need to come alongside the next generation and help them follow Jesus, to pray for protection from the enemy, that more and more people would experience this amazing love that can only be found in Jesus. And if you're not able to kneel, you can still pray with us. I'm gonna put the prayer up on the screen, but I'm asking that we would do this together to say, Jesus is more powerful than anything the enemy can muster up. So let's do this now.
when you're ready, we'll pray this together. For this reason, we kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen our church with power through his spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that being rooted and established in love, we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.